that this is Brother Matter. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus. And as we exited the broadcast last Sunday, which I guess was Easter Sunday, uh, but I was not preaching the uh, regular Easter message, but rather I was preaching something a whole lot deeper. But I had gotten uh, into the Scripture in the second epistle of John, the seventh verse, and I'm going to go back there and I'm going to start up there. For it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist, and I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but I confess he was a man. I confess he was a man made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and that's according to Romans 1 and 3. For he was declared to be made of the seed of David according to the flesh, And verse 4 says, but he was declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of holiness, which I believe believe it says that he obtained by the resurrection from the dead. So the Spirit of the fullness of God lives in him now, but when he came to this earth, he walked as a man. He walked as a man. Romans 8 and 3 said, for God sent his Son. And he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh. He came to show you that you did not have to sin. He did not come. If he come down here as a God with victory over everything, me and you might as well throw in the towel right now. We might as well throw it in. And I know there's a lot of churches teach he was 100% man. And that is right. But then they turned right around and preached. He was 100% God. He was 100% man, so he could have sinned. But he was 100% God, so he couldn't have sinned. That makes no sense whatsoever. You can't be 100% man and 100% God at the same time. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh that we can reach that place that the righteousness of God can dwell in us. Go read Romans the 8th chapter and it starts out and takes you into these scriptures. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And in Hebrews 2, he teaches us that he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, for it pleased him or behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. I am teaching you the doctrine of Christ. I am teaching you that Jesus came and taught that the disciple is not above his master. Are you hearing me? The disciple is not above his Lord or above his master, but he that is perfect or he that is come to the maturity and the completeness in Christ is as his master. In Ephesians 4, when he talked about how that he uh, descended up on high and he led captivity captive, what did he do? He conquered spiritual death. He conquered uh, death and hell. He conquered and took the keys of hell and death. And when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. In other words, that captivity that had held men captive and held them in bondage, according, I believe it's to Hebrews 2.14, man was subject and in bondage and the fear of death all his life. But then Jesus came and took control of death, destroyed death and hell through his body and his blood. 
And what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 and 10, where it pleased God when he made his soul a sacrifice for sin, an offering for sin. So we have a Savior that has conquered death and hell. He made the way into the holiest of holies, and he said he was the forerunner to lead us into the fullness of God. God's people are living in all this religion. They're living in all this oppression and discouragement. They're living beat down, discouraged, feeling like they have no victory, no authority, that no dominion over anything in their lives. And it's time to rise up and declare that you are being made a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. We are not new creatures yet. We are being made new creatures. And we will become new creatures when we have reached that place where we are reconciled back to God. That whole thing, there's got to be taken in context. You cannot take just one scripture out of context and say that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things old are passed away and all things are become new. I know when I come to the Lord, I know how God revealed himself to me and touched my life. And yes, I changed. There was things that passed away. There was things that became new in my life, but I still have to battle the carnal mind. I still have to battle that sin nature, and you do too. No, I don't practice sin. No, I don't strive to sin. I strive to keep as far from sin as I can get, just like some of you do. But on the same hand, that sin nature is there. It is there. The carnal mind is there. Romans 8 teaches us it is there. And we've got to destroy the carnal mind. We've got to put it to death. We have got to uh, crucify this self-will. And it comes through buffeting the body. It comes through prayer and fasting and seeking God, and people are not taught this, and so many people are taught uh, just Second Corinthians 5.17 that they're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things old are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then when they fight the sin nature, and they have to wrestle the very forces of their flesh and the forces of hell that war against their minds. And the uh, I think it was James that wrote about, or maybe it was Peter that wrote about the flesh or the fleshly lust that war against the soul. They don't know how to do it because they're taught they're different. They're taught they're changed. They're not taught that they've got to grow into a relationship in God, in prayer, in seeking God, in study of the Word. Learn to use the Word. Learn to use the Word as a weapon. It is a weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12 tells you that the Word of God It's the sword of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that day that uh, Paul was writing in Hebrews, the two-edged sword was the most feared, deadly weapon that uh, could be used in a battle because it was sharp on both edges. And whoever learned to wield that sword masterfully was a dangerous and feared opponent because whichever way that sword swung, it would cut, it would sever, it would maim, it would kill, uh, it would wound because it was razor sharp down both edges. So Paul said it is a sharp two-edged sword. 
and it divides asunder. Are you hearing me? It divides asunder. Let me see if I can get over there to that scripture. I do not like to quote anything wrong. I like to get everything in complete uh, context. Let me see if I can get there. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of sunder or soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thought and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So Paul is telling us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That means you you study the word. The Bible teaches us, study to show thyself approved a workman, Unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of God in the letter is dead. But by the Spirit it becomes powerful. By the Spirit it becomes quick and powerful and it becomes sharper than any two-edged sword. It will pierce to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And Paul is talking about the spiritual man and is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. Spiritually, uh, that word is a dangerous weapon, but people have not learned to use it, and they've not learned to use it in prayer. The letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. You learn to use that word. You learn to use that word by the unction of the Holy Ghost. And there is nothing impossible. You've got to know that the Lord has equipped you with weapons to fight, but it doesn't do any good if you do not take these weapons and use them to fight. So as years ago, the Lord showed my wife an open vision, and I will never forget this, but she was in some battles, and the Lord took her out, and she saw this beautiful, shiny armor sitting against the wall. I believe it was in our bedroom, but it was sitting there against the wall, all shiny and polished and glistening and new. And she looked at it, and the Lord spoke to her and said, There's not one blood stain on that sword. There's not one dent or nick in that shield or that helmet or that breastplate. In other words, what the Lord was telling her, that armor looks good. But for that armor to be effectual and for you to be able to battle and come forth, then you've got to learn to use that armor, and you've got to put it on and wade into battle. So many of God's people, they battle the enemy, and they just sit there and let the enemy wail on them and wail on them and wail on them. It's time to get on the offensive. You know, I preached for many, many, many years. And back before I come to the Lord, I loved boxing. I never... Uh, trained in it, but I watched a lot of boxing because I like champions. I like people that have determination and they train themselves and they get skilled. And these guys that became champions, they were skilled in their trade. They were skilled as fighters. They knew what to do. They knew how to handle themselves. And uh, I've watched many and, and two of my favorites was Sugar Ray Leonard. I've never seen a man that could throw a left hand that would uh, come faster almost than your eye could see in a blink of an eye. That left would come, 
and that man could hit you, and you talking about rattling your cage. And then I watched many. Uh, you may not like these people. I'm not advocating. I'm not endorsing them. But I watched many fights with Muhammad Ali, and not only was he a skilled boxer, but he also uh, was a psychological. He dealt with men's psyche. He uh, drew them out psychologically and taunted them and uh, tried to put fear in their hearts and tried to get them to lose their concentration. And he would taunt them in the ring because he knew if he would make them mad, they would lose their concentration. And you cannot fight when you're mad. You have to concentrate. You have to stay on training. You have to stay on point. Well, it's the same thing with walking with God. When you walk with God, your enemy's going to come at you. He's going to get you off base. He's going to get you off your footing. He's going to get you out of your training. He's going to get you to a place that you're fighting blindly or madly or you're doing what Paul said. He said, Paul said, I don't fight as one that beateth the air. When you get mad, and you've seen boxers do it, they'll get mad and they'll just start flailing. And they'll start uh, flailing their hands in the air. Paul said, I don't fight as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body under subjection. And when a fighter gets mad and just starts flailing, then that experienced boxer chooses uh, his timing and he will hit and do damage. While that other man's flailing and mad... And in blind rage, that other boxer will begin uh, one punch at a time to take him down. So you've got to learn to fight. You've got to learn to use the weapons that God has given you. Learn to use, uh, according to Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter. See, this Bible is powerful. This Word of God is powerful, children. Uh, the Word of God in Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and let's go to the third verse, and we'll start there. And Paul is teaching, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I've heard people quote this and quote this and quote this, but there's a difference between quoting something and learning to apply it to your life. There's a difference between training yourself uh, to box and learning to implement that training in the ring. You can learn many strategies. You can uh, read all kind of books. You can get all kind of education. But until you apply it to your life and until you learn what it means and how to apply it and how to put it in action and how in the right mind and the right timing. You know, strategy has a timing. Warfare has a timing. That general can know exactly what to do. He can have the battle plan to win. But if he does not implement that strategy at the exact right time, if he does not move the troops at the right time in the right position and know where they need to be and know when they need to stand still or retreat or attack, 
then uh, he's not going to win that battle. That's the reason Paul said, For the weapons, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, to pull down strongholds, you have got to have a relationship with God. You have got to have a relationship in prayer. You've got to have a relationship in the Word. You've got to know the Word. You have got to be clothed in the armor of God, which is in Ephesians 2, starting with 12 and going through several verses there in Ephesians, the 6th chapter. And here Paul is teaching on the same thing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through the through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, just quoting that doesn't mean that you have the ability and the understanding to pull down strongholds. Quoting that just means you've learned the Scripture and you learn what it says. And it says, casting down imaginations. Well, where are imaginations? They are in the spirit of your mind. And God told us in two different scriptures, uh, that is Romans 12 and 2, and Ephesians 4, I believe, and 23, uh, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. In Romans 12 and 2, he said, be not conformed to this world. And that's what Paul is saying. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You're going to not, you cannot use the weapons of our warfare in a carnal mind. And, and in, in Romans 11, I mean 12 and 2, he plainly states, be not conformed to this world, but be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing means renovate, restore, reconcile. Get your mind reconciled back to God. Get that mind that was in Christ Jesus. Begin to get it in you according to Philippians 2 and 5. How does this come? This comes through study. This comes through prayer. This comes through keeping junk and garbage out of your mind and out of your head that pollutes your mind, tears down your faith. Brings in carnality, gets you caught up in emotions. And if you get caught up in emotions, which the devil uses to stir up the works of the flesh in you, you are not going to be a successful fighter. You are not going to be a laborer for the kingdom of God because you do not have the ability to cast down imaginations in a carnal mind. You can't do it in a carnal mind. For to be carnally minded is death, according to Romans 8, I believe that's verse 6 or 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if you want peace, if you want to be spiritual minded, then you've got to learn to put the carnal mind to death. The carnal mind is a spirit. You are born with a mind, but carnality is a spirit. It works against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, uh, according to what uh, Romans 8 says, but it is God's adversary. It is enmity against God. It is God's enemy. It opposes Everything that is God, this is what this right here does. The carnal mind, that's why he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. If you're trying to fight a spiritual battle in a carnal mind, you've lost already. That's the reason I am such a strong advocate of prayer and of study, of prayer in the home, restoring the Spirit of God and the the, the wisdom of God and the things of God back to the home, getting an atmosphere of God back in the home. 
This battle can't be won in the church, children. It's got to be won in the home. I have so many people that want to know, do you believe that prayer should be restored to schools? Yes, that would be good, but let's get it restored in the home first, the home front. You know, uh, in World War II, everything centered on the home front, on the home front staying strong for our boys overseas that was fighting the enemy to keep America from losing its freedoms. And the home front had to rally together. It had to come together and it had to support our troops overseas. Well, today people are so scattered, especially in religion, they're divided. Nobody's fighting together. Nobody's laboring together. The enemy has come in and brought divisions. And Paul said, mark those that bring divisions among you. It's time to get rid of this division and start praying for the true faith, the true doctrine of Christ, the one true living God to stand up in the earth and declare his truths by his name Jesus for ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free in whom the son of man has made free he's free indeed there's nothing going to put down all this division in our government there's nothing going to put down all this division uh, in everyday life all this it's got people divided except the doctrine of Christ and the one true living God standing up in the earth and declaring uh, his name by uh, his name Jesus. It's got to be declared, children. It's got to be declared. And I am telling you that we are at the door of a visitation that the one true and living God, the men of this Bible that preached the way they preached and prophesied like they did, that anointing and that spirit is coming back. The Lord told me in January 2014 that spirit's coming back. And I'm going to take you to 1 Kings 17 and uh, show you what the Lord showed me in March of 2017. That was over two years ago. Uh, and I'm starting at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Okay, so he stood up to Ahab, and he uh, told him what God was going to do. He said, Except according to my word, uh, there's not going to be any rain or dew. So, Elijah shut up the heavens. He prayed earnestly, as we know in the book of James. The Bible said he prayed earnestly uh, that it might not rain, and it rained not by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and God opened the heavens. So here we see Elijah. We don't know where he come from. You can go search Elijah. There's no lineage. There's no Tishbite. There's nothing to show us where it come from, uh, where he come from. He just stepped on the scene. And uh, I believe it was somewhere around the 20th or 22nd of March in 2017. We were in the church in Elijah on a Monday night. We were praying and seeking God. And the Lord took me out in a vision. And I uh, saw just like a beautiful country morning Looking at a pasture, uh, trees, I think there might have been a fence in it, 
uh, just a beautiful sunrise out in the country, peaceful, calm, everything just looked like it was going to be a beautiful day. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that picture, from the top all the way down to the bottom, there was a huge split came in that picture, and I saw a big foot step through there, and a man step through there, and begin to prophesy the word of the Lord in power and authority and division, and I knew that was Elijah. And the Lord spoke to me and said, and the word of the Lord shall suddenly step on the scene. And, and I'm going to 1 Kings 18 and verse 1, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. This was the third year after he had shut up the heavens, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And a man named Obadiah met him. And he told him, he said, You go tell Ahab to meet me and all his prophets, all his 400 prophets that eat at Jezebel's table and 450 in the groves. Or, but it was like 850 of them. Uh, he told him, he said, tell them to meet me on Mount Carmel. And in verse 19, he says, Thou therefore send and gather to me, uh, gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So 850 men showed up with Ahab on Mount Carmel for Elijah to withstand them because the word of the Lord had come to him. And he said, go and show thyself to Ahab. So we are in that day that the word of the Lord is now going to step on the scene and God is going to stand up against all these religions and doctrines that man has polluted and that man has brought in, and he's going to show himself to be God by mighty signs, wonders, and miracles, horrible acts. We are going to see the ministry of the book of Acts. We're going to see the soul-saving move of the book of Acts where three, four, five thousand people at a time in one service getting saved. We are going to see miracles. We're going to see men walking like Peter with his shadow healed the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. We are going to see great and mighty miracles. I believe that people in wheelchairs that are maimed with twisted limbs, what we call paraplegics or pelagics, they are going to uh, be healed, made whole. Their limbs are going to untwist by the word and the power of God. They're going to come out of them wheelchairs, off them crutches, I believe. Those that we call mentally retarded uh, are going to be healed. Their minds are going to be healed. These are nothing but demons. They are nothing but demon forces of hell. And it's time now for God of the earth to stand up by His name, Jesus. Declare His true doctrine. Declare that there is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And reveal the true doctrine of Christ and bear witness to it with signs and wonders and miracles. And I believe the horrible acts that was in the days of Moses and that uh, Moses spoke, I believe they're going to stand up in judgment and also in wrath against people that fight against this kingdom. You know, Elijah faced down 
850. It was the religious leaders in Jesus' day that put him to death. And you go back and you look at what Jesus preached. That was the true doctrine of Christ. There should be nothing added to and nothing taken away. Paul revealed it in all the epistles. The New Testament is the epistles of Paul, Peter, James, and John. Uh, that is the writings of Paul and Peter and John that laid out the doctrine of Christ, what is in there. We have got to get back to, we have got to have a visitation of the Holy Ghost. It's going to reestablish the power and the authority and the leadership and the government that came at Pentecost. And I was uh, uh, talking, I believe, a while ago, it might have been last week, how uh, Paul in Ephesians the fourth chapter talk about how Jesus, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. He led uh, death, spiritual death. He led it captive. Uh, and he turned around and gave gifts unto men. Now, I'm talking about ministry gifts. There are spiritual gifts in First Corinthians 12 that lists the nine uh spiritual gifts, but these ministry gifts that Paul said, and he gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That is five offices. That is five ministry gifts, and the reason he gave them. You go on in verse 12 and said, these were given for the perfecting of the saints. That is the maturity, the coming forth, the completeness of Christ, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying. That word means teaching erecting, building up for the erecting, the edifying of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ uh, till we all come. Are you hearing me? Into the unity of the faith. These offices were given for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The ministry can't work until these five gifts and offices are restored, it can't work like it's supposed to. It's working in part. Paul said it, read 1 Corinthians 13. He said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we understand in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with.